welcome to Let Us Go Into the House of the Lord. I'm Pastor Michael Lilienthal, and we have a very special episode today. We are looking ahead to the service that is going to happen uh, at Our Saviors on Sunday, February 2nd. Uh, and it's an interesting uh, occasion because on February 2nd, we have a convergence of uh, uh, big, uh, big convergence of uh, two different festivals. Um, first of all, this, uh, this comes uh, at the end of the Epiphany season, which we've been discussing, and the last Sunday in the Epiphany season in the Lutheran tradition is uh, the, the Feast of the Transfiguration of Our Lord. You know, when Jesus goes up onto the mountain and uh, his face and clothes shine brightly and uh, the, he's there with Moses and Elijah. We'll, we'll hear that gospel lesson, of course, but that, uh, you know, the last Sunday in the Epiphany season is Transfiguration. Uh, the convergence, though, is with another festival because February 2nd is the festival of uh, the presentation of our Lord and the purification of Mary, that being 40 days after Jesus' birth. Uh, so it's hard to believe that Christmas has already uh, been 40 days uh, ago at that point already. But uh, yes, according to the Levitical laws, um, when a, a woman gave birth to a son, she was unclean for seven days, uh, and uh, then he was circumcised after that, and uh, 33 days longer she had to remain uh, away from the temple and then came back to the temple to present uh, her child before the Lord and to uh, have a sacrifice of, of atonement for herself so that she was then considered Levitically or liturgically or ritually pure once again, hence the purification of Mary. And so this is, you know, very much tied to the occasion of Christmas. What, what's interesting about this convergence uh, for a, a number of different reasons is um, uh, on the one hand, the, the purification of Mary, the presentation of our Lord, is tied to Christmas, 40 days after Christmas. Transfiguration is tied to Easter. It's looking ahead to Easter. The, the, the time that that occurs depends on uh, when, when Easter comes because uh, Ash Wednesday, as you may know, is 40 days prior to Easter, uh, not including Sundays. Uh, and so the Sundays before that, before Ash Wednesday, the Sunday before that is Quinquagesima, uh, 50 days approximately before Easter. The Sunday before that is Sexagesma, approximately 60 days before Easter. And then the Sunday before that is Septuagesma, approximately 70 days before Easter. And so it's the Sunday before Septuagesma that is Transfiguration Sunday. When Easter falls depends on, or determines how long the Epiphany season will go and therefore when Transfiguration falls. So we, with the, the, this convergence, and I, I love using that term for it because uh, we've got these two things coming together, uh, these, these two events coming together, it, it really is at a nexus of these two high feasts, uh, Christmas and Easter. And we have right in the middle here, uh, as kind of a, a, a tug of war between them, is Transfiguration and the presentation of our Lord. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go through these these lessons, and we're going to see how we celebrate this uh, and, and, and how we observe this. And, and what, what we're going to do at Our Saviors is something very unique. Uh, I, I've done this in the past with other churches uh, where we take a Sunday out of the, the year and use it to explain the liturgy. So instead of having a regular sermon during the, the service, uh, there are instead short explanations of each part of the liturgy as we go through. And we're going to plan to do that. And as I go through the readings and the propers for both transfiguration and presentation, uh, I, I hope the, the reason for that becomes clear. I'll explain some of that too as we go on as well. 
Uh, but uh, it's just a perfect opportunity to stop and look at why we worship the way we do and what blessings we receive through the divine service as it is structured. Uh, it being the first Sunday of the month, we are going to have uh, divine service rite one, which is on page 41 in the Evangelical Lutheran Hymnary. Uh, it's uh, derived from the Bugenhagen service uh, created by Johannes Bugenhagen, Martin Luther's pastor, who went and uh, ministered to uh, the, the, the people in Denmark and Norway and it essentially founded the Lutheran church in those countries uh, and created this, uh, this order of service for them. This, I say, derived from it because the, the right one is not exactly the same as what he created, but it is based on that. So we are going to go through right one uh, on that Sunday, on February 2nd, explaining each part uh, as we go all the way through uh, so that uh, the, the structure of it becomes very, very clear. With that, I'm going to go straight to looking at uh, the propers for the day. Uh, and I'm going to start by looking at the intro, and I'm, and I'm going to go back and forth because we're going to look at uh, the, the propers for, for both uh, Transfiguration and Presentation. But for Transfiguration, the intro it is as follows. The lightnings lit up the world, the earth trembled and shook. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. I hope already you can see why this, uh, why transfiguration itself serves as kind of a perfect uh, occasion to explain the liturgy. Uh, we'll get to that gospel lesson, but what Peter wanted to do was build some tabernacles up there. Some translations, most translations, I think, have tents. It's the same word in Greek, tent or tabernacle, uh, for Jesus and Moses and Elijah all to dwell in. When we consider it as a tabernacle, though, we see the religious significance. Uh, and think of this, too, as a parallel to... When, uh, when God gave the law on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus, uh, he appeared on a mountain to, to give that law. He appeared there to, to give religion to the people. And what he actually instructed Moses to do while on Mount Sinai, besides the Ten Commandments, was he instructed Moses how to build a tabernacle. Uh, so that's a great parallel that Peter makes there. Uh, of course, he's, he's mistaken. He doesn't understand the truth of the religion. He's, he's just drawing from his own ideas about this, rather than uh, what God tells him to do is listen to him, listen to my beloved son. Listen to Jesus, as Moses listened to God on Mount Sinai. Um, and he'll tell you uh, what your true worship is about. But okay, so this um, this lesson comes um, from uh, Psalm seventy seven. Um, the 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 lightnings, the earth tremble, the the that um, that shaking uh, of of all of that. Okay, so that that again should parallel uh, the experience in Exodus. Uh, at uh, on Mount Sinai, the, the people of Israel at that time uh, were were terrified to approach uh, that that mountain because of the the lightning and the fire that was uh, atop it. Um, so yeah, there there are a lot of parallels there with the transfiguration. I want to go and look at the uh, intro it for the presentation of our Lord, uh, and this one we don't have this intro it in the Evangelical Lutheran Hymnary. I'm finding it here from Volume One of the Sermon and the Propers by uh, Fred Lindemann. Uh, this is a book from Concordia Publishing House. I think it was published back in the 60s or 70s. Um, but uh, he has a, a good deal. Uh, okay, so the third printing there I'm looking at it is from 1966, originally published 1958. So um, yes, it's, it's very old, but he has a great deal of um, historical insights into the liturgy, the propers, 
Um, the he, he has some sermon outlines. I don't always like those. Um, he, he doesn't follow the text the way I think he ought to, but he, he has these, these good insights about the, the propers. So the intro it for the presentation here. We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Do you see, once again, what a marvelous thing it is that this convergence of transfiguration and the presentation happens here? You know, I haven't done any research about uh, how often this occurs, that uh, transfiguration falls on presentation, uh, but I can't imagine it happens terribly frequently. Um, I might be wrong on that. It might have happened plenty of times before. It's the first time for me in my ministry, and I'm very excited about this. I don't know if you can tell. Um, but uh, so, yes, the, the idea of the presentation, and we'll get to that gospel lesson as well. Jesus is brought to the temple. Jesus is there in the temple while uh, his, his parents are making the sacrifices for, for Mary, for her purification. Uh, and we see in that concept, that whole idea there is the loving kindness of O God. Thy loving kindness in the midst of thy temple. So the sacrifices, once again, the whole idea of these sacrifices was to be uh, a representation of God's grace, a depiction of God's grace. He's providing healing and forgiveness and cleansing through the opportunity of these sacrifices. And we see those in the temple. Uh, and then, uh, great is the Lord greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. The mountain, once again, the mountain is a key feature in this whole idea of worship. The worship of God and mountains are intimately tied together in Scripture, and our 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 propers and our liturgy shows that as well. We'll talk about that some more in a, in, a, in a minute. But I do want to go on now. Um, I, I I'm gonna go right into the Old Testament lesson from the the uh, the Old Testament lectionary uh, by uh, Obenberger. It doesn't have one for the presentation, but it does have one for transfiguration, and we are going to read that. Uh, otherwise, during the service, I am going to read the lessons for both festivals. This I, I'm taking a few liberties here. More, more often than not, when you've got a convergence like this, you pick one. Uh, and it's not just that you pick one, but you observe the one that has greater standing. And I believe uh, between these two, transfiguration does take precedence over presentation. Um, I, I might be wrong on that, but I believe that that, that is, is correct. Um, but the way we're going to observe this with this uh, uh, service explanation Sunday, uh, we will have opportunity to read both, and that'll give me opportunity to explain the readings on uh, uh, both, uh, both sets of readings as we go through, uh, as well as the whole liturgy itself. And I'll explain that again. I know I'm, I'm keeping you in bated breath. But the uh, Old Testament lesson for transfiguration from this uh, Old Testament lectionary is, here it is, uh, Genesis 41, 37 through 43. Uh, and it does have uh, an interesting concept of, uh, of connection here uh, to transfiguration. Genesis 41, 37 through 43. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. Pharaoh said to his officials, Can we find anyone else like this man, a man who has the Spirit of God? Pharaoh said to Joseph, Because God has shown you all of this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you are. You shall be in charge of my house, and all my people will submit to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. 
Pharaoh also said to Joseph, Look, I have appointed you over the whole land of Egypt. Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. He dressed Joseph in, in robes made from the best linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in the second best chariot that he had. Men went ahead of him crying out, Kneel down. Pharaoh appointed him over the whole land of Egypt. Uh, so, um, Pastor Obenberger's lectionary, in his notes here, he, he describes this, this account, this reference, as uh, Pharaoh promotes Joseph. And that is exactly what this whole text is about. And it's interesting to see that in connection with the transfiguration. Joseph has been put here by God in order to save his family. Uh, there, there were other circumstances that his brothers sold him into slavery uh, and caused this great humiliation for him, but now we see his exaltation coming about. And if you're familiar with the Lutheran Catechism in the uh, second article of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, uh, and, and so forth, discussing the life of Christ, we see that in two stages, the humiliation of Christ, starting with his conception, uh, his birth, uh, his his suffering, his death, his burial, all of that is his humiliation, how he put himself under the law. And we see that in the purification of Mary in the presentation of Christ as well, that he is putting himself under the law, that atonement has to be made for his mother for his own birth. Um, yeah, so he is there in that humiliation, putting himself under the law. Joseph underwent that humiliation, being sent to prison, being even uh, imprisoned for something he didn't do with uh, the account of Potiphar's wife. Um, but uh, now we see Joseph's exaltation, how he interpreted this dream for Pharaoh, uh, certainly uh, proclaiming God's word, really. God had sent the dream to Pharaoh and gave Joseph the ability to interpret it. Uh, so he's, he's proclaiming God's message here. And for that, he is exalted. And we see that in the transfiguration account. Jesus is still in his humiliation, uh, the state of his humiliation, when that transfiguration occurs. But we see the, the, a glimpse of his exaltation there when he is glorified on that mountaintop. We see him rising up. We see how he will ultimately have this victory, how he will accomplish the salvation of his loved ones, of, of the whole world. Uh, he will win that salvation. So we see that there. That's the, uh, the Old Testament lesson. Uh, the epistle lesson, I, I'm going to start by, by looking at the epistle lesson for transfiguration. Uh, we'll do that one first, and then we'll look at uh, the presentation. In the hymnary, if you look at page 202, it has them in the opposite order. Presentation is first, transfiguration is second. Uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with transfiguration first, again, because I do believe that transfiguration tends to have the precedence. Uh, it, in this in this sort of convergence. Again, I can't get away from that word. It's just too good. Uh, but uh, so for transfiguration, the epistle lesson is 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. To be sure, we were not following cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the powerful appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to, of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from within the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We heard this voice which came out of heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. We also have the completely reliable prophetic word. You do well to pay attention to it, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Since we know this above all else, no prophecy of scripture comes about from someone's own interpretation. In fact, no prophecy ever came by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were being carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
This letter, written by Peter, is written by that apostle who uh, was on the mountain, who saw this glorification of Christ. He witnessed uh, that powerful appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and he's saying, you know, we, we testified to that. We shared that news. We weren't making it up. Uh, but I think there's a little bit of um, a cruel irony for, on, on Peter's part here when he, when he says, uh, you know, we heard this. We heard this voice, uh, God testifying who this was. But even more, we have this completely reliable prophetic word. You do well to pay attention to it. Of course, as God spoke of, of Jesus, his son, he said, listen to him. Listen to Jesus. And Peter now is saying, pay attention to this prophetic word. And I think probably the apostle is thinking on this occasion, if we'd been paying attention to that as apostles, if we'd been paying attention to that prophetic word, I wouldn't have said that stupid thing about building tabernacles up on the mountain for Jesus and for Elijah and for Moses. I wouldn't have thought that was a good idea. Uh, so I, I think he is, he is saying, you know, if you pay attention to the scripture, if you listen to what it says, and it is from God, it's not made up by human beings. It's something that God gave to those human beings to say, to write, every word, every syllable. God inspired it. If you pay attention to that, then you have the true religion. Then you really are on that mountaintop in God's presence. I think um, that's, I, I don't want to try to speculate too much about what's going on in Peter's mind, but I, I think that's uh, definitely part of it. Um, so that's the epistle lesson for transfiguration. Now I want to read the epistle lesson for the presentation and see how these uh, connect, and they do in, a, in an interesting way. So Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Therefore, since the children share flesh and blood, he also shared the same flesh and blood, so that through death he could destroy the one who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. For surely he was not concerned with helping angels, but with helping Abraham's offspring. For this reason, he had to become like his brothers in every way in order that he would be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God so that he could pay for the sins of the people. Indeed, because he suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Once again, what we're seeing here is a connection between the humiliation and exaltation of Christ. Uh, the presentation is all about his humiliation, how he puts himself under the law. He puts himself into this suffering he allows himself to be tempted in order to help us, to help. We are the ones who are, are tempted. We are the ones uh, who are in the flesh. He took on our flesh. And that glory, that's, that's what we really see with this transfiguration, is that that glory of God is infusing that flesh, that he brings his glory to us. And also we see this, that he uh, becomes the faithful high priest. Um, he, that's, that's why he went to the temple in the first place. He went there so that he could be ordained a priest, really. Um, he, he didn't go through, he, uh, he didn't go through that whole process that, um, uh, we see, uh, in, uh, Leviticus, I think it's chapter nine, eight or nine, something like that. When we see the ordination of Aaron and his sons into the priesthood, Jesus didn't go through that right, but he was ordained in blood, in his own blood. Um, but when he went to the temple, it was, really an introduction into his priesthood so that he would ultimately be able to make that perfect sacrifice to pay for the sins of all people. And that's what uh, what comes up here uh, in that text, text uh, from Hebrews, that he would pay for those sins. Going to the temple, going into the worship, uh, going up onto the mountain, all of these things are connected uh, on this, this day of presentation and transfiguration. All right, I'm going to go now to the gospel lesson 
uh, for Transfiguration. That's Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Uh, and you probably know what the, the gospel lesson is for uh, this this day, but uh, I'm going to, to read through it anyway so that we get, um, get the whole text together. Matthew 17, 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up onto a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured in front of them. His face was shining like the sun. His clothing became as white as the light. Just then, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you want, I will make three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. Just then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down and were terrified. Jesus approached, and as he touched them, he said, Get up and do not be afraid. When they opened their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus alone. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Do not tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So yes, that uh, account of the transfiguration, uh, it, it ends interestingly with this. Jesus uh, on occasion does restrict the uh, the, the telling uh, of the news. And this is one of those occasions where he says, don't tell until I've been raised from the dead. And he doesn't tell the reason always for that. We can guess at this reason. Again, I said the transfiguration is a glimpse at his exaltation. Well, we don't want to see that exaltation until he's through the state of humiliation. So don't wait, don't tell until he's been raised from the dead, and then we'll see how, yes, even in the state of humiliation, he did have the power of God, the glory of God, the might of God, the knowledge of God, the presence of God, all of that. He had those divine attributes in his human flesh. He just wasn't making full use of them. Uh, he had them set aside, and this is just a glimpse, peeling back the curtain a little bit to show uh, that he did have those attributes, but don't tell until he is in his state of exaltation. Um, with this, too, uh, I, I mentioned uh, in verse 4, Peter uh, says here he wants to make three shelters. Uh, and that shelters, uh, the skene, uh, means tent in Greek, or tabernacle. He's going to make tabernacles for Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Now, I understand why the Evangelical Heritage Version would, uh, would translate as shelters. He's, it's getting across the idea here that Peter wants to... to Put a permanent structure in place where they can stay. They can live here. They can they can stay on earth. That's what he's really longing for. He sees this glory of Jesus. Make it stay. <laughs> we want that glory here. And that's that's human nature in general anyway, even as Christians, that we want that proof uh, of, of Jesus' divinity. We want to see the divine nature with us. Uh, we want those miracles to give us the proof proof of our, our salvation. We want we want to know God is there. We want him to show himself. So we make that glory stay. That's what we want. But um, God gives the answer. No, the, the, those, those, uh, those shelters, those tabernacles aren't going to stay there. That's not what the religion is about. Instead, in the next verse, verse 5, uh, the voice from the cloud says, listen to him. This is my son. Listen to him. That's where the religion comes in. And that's why we discuss our divine service as a divine service. First and foremost, it's God's service to us. So what we do in the service primarily is listen, receive, hear. Um, just, yeah, it, it falls into our laps. It's given to us. So listen to him. Also, with him I am well pleased. Uh, that, I think, um, hints at this idea of the sacrifice Jesus was going to make. He would be a pleasing sacrifice to God. And God is already saying this sacrifice is, is pleasing. I'm pleased with it. I, I accept. Uh, well, first of all, I accept Jesus' good works. Look at, look at all the good that he has done, his act of righteousness. 
uh, in that in that regard, how he has kept the law. I'm pleased with that. God is pleased with that. But then in his passive uh, uh, obedience, I think I said righteousness, but uh, obedience, his passive obedience, when he dies, when he is the sacrifice for sin, God will be pleased with that sacrifice as well. So it's it's a message of great comfort here that, no, we don't, we don't need to find that glorious mountain. We don't need to go climb up there. Uh, if we did, there would be far fewer um, opportunities for salvation. Just look, among the 12 apostles, only three of them got to see that holy mountain. But all 12 are given the word. Of course, Judas would fall away, but then he would re be replaced by Matthias, and then uh, St. Paul would join as the, the 13th apostle there um, as well. But all of them received the word. They received salvation through Jesus' gospel ministry, through listening to the Son of God. And that's how all of us are saved, too. Again, it gets right back to that epistle lesson for transfiguration that Peter said we have that completely reliable prophetic word. Pay attention to it. Listen to it, that word. All right, now the gospel lesson for presentation. Uh, and this is going to have a, a connection here to Luke 2, 22 through 40. <clears throat> when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be called holy to the Lord. And they came to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the comfort of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary according to the law, Simeon took him into his arms and praised God. He said, Lord, you now dismiss your servant in peace according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Joseph and the child's mother were amazed at the things that were spoken about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Listen carefully, this child is appointed for the falling and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Anna, a prophetess, was there. She was a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow of eighty-four years. She did not leave the temple complex, since she was worshipping with fasting and prayers night and day. Standing nearby at that very hour, she gave thanks to the Lord. She kept speaking about the child to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had accomplished everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town, Nazareth. The child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. Whew, there are some uh, very neat connections here. God's favor was on him, how that ends, you know. God said in the, the transfiguration, I am with him, I am well pleased. Uh, not the same words there, but the, the, the concept is connected. It's, it's synonymous. Um, also, we see uh, more implications about this presentation that every firstborn male will be called holy to the Lord. Um, that's, that, that goes back to Passover. That uh, the, the firstborn was it, was, it was the plague of the death of the firstborn that was occurring in Egypt, but the Passover lamb was sacrificed to take the place of the firstborn. After that fact, God said, I redeemed your firstborn, therefore all your firstborn are mine. But within that also, um, there was uh, a, a payment of, of shekels made for each firstborn uh, to the temple, uh, and the, 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 the Levites were essentially given to God in place of, of the firstborn of every tribe. 
Um, but the, it, I'm not, I'm not going to go into all of that, that history there, but essentially the idea of redemption is tied into this, that this firstborn of Mary is holy to the Lord. And all of that firstbornness from Passover through the whole history of Israel leads right up to this firstborn. This is the firstborn. Uh, as, uh, is it in uh, Colossians or First Corinthians, something like that, where Jesus is called the firstborn of all creatures? Uh, he's the firstborn. He is the one uh, who, who is representative of, of the rest. Uh, and so he, being the one who is presented at the temple at this time, is going to be the one who pays for every other person. His perfection will pay for the sins of all people. And we see that connected with this whole idea of the firstborn being declared holy to the Lord. Uh, so the sacrifice is made for, for Mary, that uh, pair of turtle doves or, or two pigeons, um, that the fact that they gave these these birds uh, instead of uh, one of the larger animals uh, indicates that Mary and Joseph were poor, which just emphasizes again the humiliation of Christ, that uh, he wasn't born to a, a king or prince. He was born to humble, humble people. Um, then we have this song of Simeon, Simeon, the old man who was waiting for the comfort of Israel. Uh, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Uh, so he's he's got these revelations from God, like Joseph in the Old Testament lesson received revelations from God, the, or the ability to interpret the dreams, uh, all those those various things. He he listened to God uh, ultimately, um, and so the Spirit caused him to go in and see Christ. He took Jesus into his arms. It's very significant. He took Jesus into his arms, praised God, and said sang this song, which we call the Nunc Dimittis from the Latin for the first words of it, Lord. Now you dismiss. Nunc dimittis is what that means. Lord, now you dismiss your servant in peace. That is very rich. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. It concludes then this, this pericope with um, Anna, who is uh, another uh, older woman. Although, you know, it doesn't actually say that Simeon was old. It's just kind of tradition that he is. Um, I, I think it makes sense that he probably was old, but we can't uh, hang any doctrines on that. But Anna is an old woman, very definitely, um, called a prophetess. Um, she also was here waiting, uh, waiting for the consolation uh, of Israel or the redemption of Jerusalem, uh, as, as it says about her. Um, and she heard it. She, she heard Simeon's song. And because Simeon sang that song, she also knew that Jesus was there. Think again of what Peter said in his epistle lesson. You have something more sure, the completely reliable prophetic word. She had the word. She listened. She listened to what this other witness said, and that was testimony. And so she then shared that same testimony, telling others the word, the word, the word, the word, the word, the word. Can I emphasize that anymore? Uh, the word is giving faith. The word is causing comfort. Uh, the word is giving people the holiness of Christ. That's what this is all about. And then we see um, the child growing and becoming strong. Again, emphasizing the state of humiliation. God doesn't grow. God doesn't become strong. He is already as <laughs> big is is that something we can describe but he's he's almighty he's stronger than anything he is strength itself um but the fact that jesus grew and became strong shows that he was a human being and a human being who was now under the law um being filled with wisdom too that was one that always gave me trouble as a kid uh, how could god grow in wisdom but again it's the human nature of christ that grows in wisdom so that's, that's that. Now I want to talk about that nunc dimittis a little bit. Uh, Lord, now you dismiss your servant in peace according to your word. This is another key reason why this is so perfect 
for a Sunday on which we are going to explain the liturgy. I'm going to go through, I've already picked the, the hymns for this day, uh, but I'm going to go through what I, what I picked here. Um, the, the, the chief hymn for Transfiguration, uh, which we are going to use as the chief hymn uh, right in the middle of the day, is hymn 224, The Only Son from Heaven. Uh, and it's, it's all about uh, that, um, the, the appearance of Christ in, in Transfiguration, um, that God became man. He is, he is a human, but he also shines with the glory of God. And it, and it has uh, the element of prophecy in there, too, so it ties to the epistle lesson. Very, very clear. It, it's, it's so perfect. We are having a communion this Sunday, too. We're going to use hymn 313, the, that, uh, that one that's uh, one of the favorites here at Our Savior's. Uh, I come, O Savior, to thy table. Um, and it's, it's, I think, connects also there, too, with the idea of Simeon and Anna, who were longing, weary with waiting for that salvation. But here, you can, you come, come and receive him. And that's tying in here, too. I'm going to get back to what the opening hymn is. But um, with right one, uh, let me, let me step back for a second. Right two. Uh, of the, the divine service has a canticle uh, following the Lord's Supper that is, is fairly common as, as a post-communion canticle. And that canticle is the Nunc Dimittis. It's Simeon's song. So think of this. Think, think in these terms. The people who have just uh, eaten Jesus' body and drunk his blood, after receiving all of that, then sing, Lord, now you let your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light, the light in the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. And then it ends with the glory of Patri. But that song of, of Simeon. The connection here is that Simeon sang that song after he held Jesus in his arms. We sing that song after we hold Jesus, his flesh, his body, and his blood in our mouths. We've received him. We've seen his salvation. And it's, it's discussed here, too, in that, uh, that the, it's a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon said he saw that light and that glory in this baby, this baby of a poor couple who had just been redeemed in the temple, whose, whose mother was just now proclaimed pure, ritually pure uh, in the temple. Simeon sees that glory there. We say we see that glory in this bread and in that wine. We see that light and glory there. It, we don't see the light of the transfiguration. We don't, we don't witness that with our eyes. We witness that with our faith. We see that within these humble means. We see that within the word and within the waters of baptism and within very, very expressly within this bread and this wine that are Jesus' true body and blood. We see that there. So now, right one does not have that canticle, but there is a, a place where we sing a hymn of thanks or a hymn of thanksgiving following uh, the Lord's Supper. And what's what's wonderful about this is that Martin Luther wrote a hymn paraphrase of the Nunc Dimittis, uh, and that's hymn 48 in the Evangelical Lutheran Hymnary. In peace and joy, I now depart. In peace and joy, I now depart. At God's disposing, for full of comfort is my heart, soft reposing. So the Lord hath promised me, and death is but a slumber. 
Oh, it's so wonderful. Um, so we're he he expands on that song of Simeon's that uh, we're full of comfort, we're reposing softly. Um, this is a, a text. Uh, the the Nuctimidus itself is used uh, at funerals. Uh, sometime it was recently used at a funeral at Our Saviors as well for the sermon text. Um, that uh, someone who was was in our membership passed away, uh, full of faith. Oh, she was a great witness to faith, but she departed in peace is the point so and that's that's where, where we get that and even that first verse death is but a slumber we depart this world in peace think of all the departures that we have we have those in peace uh after communion too uh, the the dismissal for communion um is is peace be with you or depart in peace borrowing these words uh that we we depart in that peace because we're at peace with god that's what it's all about we're at peace with god because we've received his salvation and so we, we're going to sing that uh, in peace and joy I now depart following uh, the Lord's Supper as the hymn of thanks. Um, tying right back to that presentation um, gospel lesson. It's, oh, it's such a rich text. It's, it's just beautiful. Um, all right, the opening hymn for, for this Sunday, uh, I'm going to, to use um, a, well, it's, it's a, 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 a hymn from Christmas 1, uh, the first Sunday after Christmas, uh, which in, in the hymnary, if you look below, uh, at the, the bottom of the page is Christmas 1 is is summed up as the theme is the presentation of Christ. Um, and what's interesting about that is part of this gospel text is used on Christmas 1. If you think back to that episode uh, when we, we talked about uh, the, the first Sunday after Christmas, uh, the presentation of Christ was discussed as part of that. So even if the presentation itself is not um, observed, we get some of that gospel lesson in there. It starts uh, just after uh, the Nunc Dimittis for for that Sunday. But, okay, so from Christmas 1, the presentation of Christ, this will be the opening hymn. It's going to be hymn number 151, Thou Light of Gentile Nations, uh, that uh, Jesus is coming to the temple. Uh, we, are, we are coming to the temple uh, to find Jesus, and, and it says that we're going there. We're waiting with earnest mind, as Simeon once had waited his God and Lord to find, so tying right back in there with that gospel lesson for the presentation uh, of Christ. Um, and uh, it, it uh, the, the last few uh, verses of that hymn uh, are are talking about um, how we do see Christ, even though we don't see that glory. Uh, and we talk about how death doesn't frighten us anymore, but also that um, uh, what God's glory is frequently hidden behind the cross. The theology of the cross is rich here. I've talked about that before, that, that God reveals himself not in, in things that look glorious to our minds. That's what, what Peter was thinking on the mountain of transfiguration, that, oh, here's God. We've been waiting for it, but here he is. But really, God himself right, said right there, no, listen to him. Look at, look at this man. Look at this human being who's walking around, who's going to suffer and die. Listen to him. That's where God is, in that cross in Jesus' cross, but also in our crosses too. Uh, verse 6, Lord, here on earth thou seemest at times to frown on me, and through my tears I often can scarce distinguish thee. How hard it is to see God, how hard it is to see his grace. But in the heavenly mansions shall nothing dim my sight. There I shall see thy glory in never-changing light. So that while it is difficult here on earth sometimes to see God's grace and God's glory, it is there for us. It is there for us. And we're going to see that absolutely clearly we, we won't see that glory as glory as much here on earth we'll see it uh in in humility in the means of grace but we will see the glory unadulterated in heaven in the heavenly mansions after we have departed in peace that that hymn is just this just wonderful 
Um, all right, then the closing hymn uh, at the end of the service is going to be hymn number 223, which is another transfiguration hymn. Uh, a wondrous type, O vision fair, of glory that the church shall share, which Christ upon the mountain shows, where brighter than the sun. Sorry, I got a little flat there at the end, but uh, it's an old uh, Latin hymn. Um, with an English melody, actually, but um, a wondrous type uh, that Jesus, in his glory, is depicting what the church is going to receive. I think this is a perfect way to conclude, um, especially because uh, it, it ends with a, a Trinitarian sort of doxology, O Father, with the Eternal Son and Holy Spirit, ever one, vouchsafe to, uh, to bring us by thy grace to see thy glory face to face. That, that's the closing prayer that we have here, that we join in that glory, that we will see it, and it will be given to us as well. That Jesus' flesh, human flesh, shone with that bright glory. Our flesh is going to shine with that bright glory too. Um, that's that's what that's all about. All right, so that's the, the closing hymn. Um, I want to mention just a few more of the propers here before I discuss a couple more things. Uh, the psalm for uh, this Sunday is going to be psalm number 84, uh, which goes to, to tone four, and it, it starts off sounding like this. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. Uh, and it goes on. And actually, part of this, this Psalm 2 is the intro it for, for Transfiguration. Verse 2, my soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. Um, that we're, we're looking for where God is, is ultimately what this is about. And the tabernacle of God, that's, you know, in the Old Testament, that's where God was. God said, I'm here. I'm in this tabernacle. How wonderful that is to find where God is. And so we see the beauty of where God is in word and sacraments. We rejoice to be able to be given those things. And we long for the courts of the Lord. That means we long to go where God is to be found. And we long to depart in peace to go to the heavenly courts of the Lord where we will be with him for eternity. So that's the psalm for the day. Now I want to talk about um, collects uh, really briefly. The collect for transfiguration. is collect number 30 on page 151 in the hymnary. O God, in the glorious transfiguration of your only begotten Son, you confirmed the mysteries of the faith by the testimony of the fathers, and in the voice that came from the bright cloud, you wondrously foreshadowed our adoption by grace. Mercifully make us co-heirs with the King of his glory, and bring us to your glorious home in heaven through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one true God, now and forever. Amen. Um, the Collect really uh, gets across that uh, connection between Old Testament and New, which is another thing that I haven't talked about here that's part of both of these uh, festivals. Uh, the Transfiguration, of course, you see that connection because who's with Jesus on the mountain? Uh, it's Moses, Elijah, and Peter, James, and John. Old Testament prophets, New Testament apostles. It's a conjunction here. In Christ, we see that fulfillment of the Old Testament uh, given into the New Testament. In the transfiguration, it, it proves all those promises. God would become flesh and save the world. There in that flesh, there's God. He's there. That's that's the confirmation. That's what that whole miracle was about. Here, look, that's where God is. He is in the flesh here to save all of us. The collect for um, presentation, again, is not in the hymnary, but I'm getting it from the Sermon in the Propers, Volume 1 again by uh, Lindemann. Uh, Almighty never living God, we humbly beseech thy majesty that as thine only begotten Son was this day presented in the temple in the substance of our flesh, 
so we may be presented unto thee with pure and clean hearts through the same, and it goes on to the same sort of uh, ending through Jesus Christ, your son, our Lord. Um, that, uh, that collect, um, Jesus was presented in the temple, in our flesh, so let us be presented to God with pure and clean hearts. Jesus, pure and clean hearts. Uh, Jesus was presented in the temple in his humiliation. That leads to the idea that we will be presented to God in Jesus' exaltation. Uh, we are given his glory again. It's it's tied together so, so well. I love it. Um, I can't, I can't, express how how beautiful all of this is uh, all tied together so those are the propers for the day i want to look at uh how this this works so well as a liturgy service i've hinted at a few things here about the idea of this mountain um and i want to i want to discuss how that how that goes here the the service if you look in the hymnary is divided into three services really it's the service of preparation the service of the word and the service of Holy Communion. In the service of preparation, it goes through opening prayer, hymn or intro it, confession of sin, Kyrie, absolution, Gloria, salutation, collect. That's the service of preparation. The idea behind that is we're, we're getting ourselves ready here to receive this service of God. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back through all of this again, uh, but I want to summarize each of these services. Then we get the service of the Word, which starts with the lesson, psalm, epistle, gospel, creed, Sir, uh, chief hymn, then sermon, then prayer of the church, uh, apostolic benediction, and offering. That's how that ends. That's the service of the word. Service of Holy Communion begins with the preface and the proper preface, the Sanctus, uh, and the exhortation and the Lord's Prayer, which is the table prayer for Holy Communion, the words of institution, that are the, the sacramental words, uh, the Agnus Dei, O Christ, Lamb of God, distribution of the sacrament itself and the dismissal, then the hymn of thanksgiving, collect of thanksgiving, benediction, closing hymn, and closing prayer. We end with that service of Holy Communion. Those are the three services uh, of this rite. Uh, and that's those are the common three services in all of the main rites of the divine liturgy in the Lutheran Church. You will always have service of preparation, service of the word, service of Holy Communion. That's what the services are designed for. Now, I want to discuss uh, some of the things that this does. Um, we talk liturgically about uh, the main... Um, canticles or, or sung portions of the service. Uh, and there's an acronym that we learned in seminary that goes, kids get crabby sitting beside ants. Uh, kids get crabby sitting beside ants. Um, and that's because, uh, so the first uh, sung portion is the Kyrie, Kyrie eleison. And that comes uh, in right one, that comes right between confession and absolution. Uh, so it's tied to the confession there is the idea. We confess our sins. We humble ourselves before God's mercy. O Lord, O God the Father in heaven, have mercy upon us. O God the Son, Redeemer of the world, have mercy upon us. O God the Holy Ghost, true comforter, have mercy upon us. Kyrie, Lord, eleison, have mercy. We're begging God to forgive us. And then we receive that forgiveness in the absolution. So the Kyrie is that, that humble part. And then the next one is G, get, forget, kids, get. Gloria, the Gloria in Excelsis Deo. It's the song of the angels. Glory to be to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. In right one, it has a, a hymn verse tacked on after that, uh, that Gloria. Um, the old Gloria itself is actually printed in, uh, in right two uh, and, and right three, um, where uh, it, it's, it's very creedal in uh, confession of who Jesus is. That's uh, it's a little bit lacking here in, uh, in right one. But you get the idea there that we're singing this glory to God uh, and we're, we're proclaiming this peace that's on earth. So we're, we're proclaiming the solution to that Kyrie. We've confessed our sins. 
And then we receive our absolution and we praise God because, look, he has provided that peace. And in that peace, we're able to give him glory. So, Kyrie, Gloria. The third one, uh, th those are the first two for the surface of preparation. We're, we're mounting up a mountain is the idea here. Think of this as we're going through the surface of preparation. We're climbing up the mountain. The next one for C, Krabby, is the creed, credo in Latin. Uh, and it was uh, historically sung. We, we tend to speak it now. Uh, in our services, and that's how it is printed in um, in Rite 1 as well as Rite 2 and Rite 3. Uh, we, we speak uh, the, the creed, uh, but we confess that creed. We've heard uh, the gospel lesson. So what we're, we're getting to there with hearing that gospel lesson, we're on the mountaintop. We are all the way up there, and as we're up there, we're confessing our faith in God at the top of that mountain of his word. We receive him. Mount God, the mountain is where God meets with people. That's what we see. Uh, with this connection between mountains and worship. The mountain is where God meets with human beings. And he's met us on that mountaintop of his gospel where we, were, we see, we hear uh, that beautiful message of Jesus and what he has done to come and save us. And so we confess our faith. That's what we do. When we've received salvation, we respond with a confession of faith. So that's the creed. Uh, the, the service of the word continues with the sermon. Uh, that uh, it, the, the sermon isn't the high point. The gospel is the high point. But the sermon is there to follow uh, and to proclaim the, the message of God for the day, for the people that are there. Um, and then uh, after that, it's, it's called a, a, a bridge of, of prayer uh, where we go through the prayer of the church following that. Uh, and then the offering itself, we bridge across from that mountaintop of the word over to the next mountaintop. Sometimes it's considered that the second mountaintop is higher. I don't know that it matters. Um, but, uh, the idea is that the, the word prepares the heart then to receive the sacrament, which, um, there's no warning about hearing the gospel wrongly, but there is a warning about receiving the sacrament unworthily. If you receive the sacrament of, of, of Jesus' body and blood without discerning his body and blood, without believing that it is his body and blood, um, it's not for your benefit, it's for your detriment. So we have the word that actually does prepare us to receive that sacrament. Uh, to, to strengthen the, the faith in our hearts and, and to, to help us. Um, it, it should be a law and gospel message in the sermon, preparing us uh, to judge our hearts so that we are not judged, and then to receive the gospel, which is what that sacrament is all about. It gives us Jesus' body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. So that bridge uh, leads over to, to the next mountaintop, and it, it climbs up then with the preface and general preface. Uh, we keep going. And then the Sanctus, that's the S. Kids get crabby sitting. Sanctus, uh, which is Latin for holy. Holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Uh, and that, uh, that song is what uh, the angels sang in God's presence in the, in the temple when uh, Isaiah uh, had that vision of God in the temple. The seraphim were above God singing holy, 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 that triple holy for the triune God. Um, we're proclaiming that too because we're saying we're in the temple now. We're, we're in God's presence on this mountaintop. We see him. And he's coming here in this bread and wine. There are a lot more connections there that I'm not going to go into just now. Um, it, it's going to be really hard for me to, to keep myself limited in the explanation of this, this service when the service actually comes because I could go on and on and on about some of these things like the Sanctus. Now, the Sanctus is tied itself to the, the B of that acronym. Kids get crabby sitting beside, and that's the Benedictus which means blessed in Latin. And that comes there in the Sanctus. In, in our traditions now, uh, those are joined together, the Sanctus and Benedictus. Uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's, of course, the song that uh, uh, the people sang when Jesus rode into Jerusalem triumphantly. 
Uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We, we're saying blessed is he because look, he's coming to us now. That, that king uh, is no longer riding on a donkey, but he's coming to us humbly in bread and wine. Uh, and so blessed is he as he comes to us. We go on to the exhortation, which again prepares our hearts to receive this sacrament. We pray that Lord's Prayer. We hear the words of institution. And then the, the last one of this acronym, kids get crabby sitting beside ants, is the Agnus Dei, which means Lamb of God. O Christ, Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. And that's uh, the, the proclamation of John the Baptist when he saw Jesus coming. He said, look, there's the Lamb of God, which is a reference itself to the Passover Lamb. Jesus is the perfect Passover lamb. I've hinted at that already with the idea of the firstborn, that Jesus is the one who makes the redemption payment for the people of God. He takes away the sin of the world. He purchases all of that. And so we're saying here in this sacrament, look, there he is. There's the one who has purchased our salvation, and now we're going to receive him on our lips. Um, and then we do. Right after singing the Agnus Day, then we go... And receive him. It's the idea that John the Baptist is calling us to repentance, and then we do repent. And then we're at that mountaintop. We're way up there, right where God meets us, and he comes down onto that mountaintop to give us his son. And there, I mean, when you're when you're receiving that sacrament of the altar, just hear God's words, this is my beloved son. As the pastor is saying to you, this is the body of Christ. This is the blood of Christ. Listen to him. That's, that's what this is all about. Uh, and then uh, we, we leave in, in joyful song and prayer with the hymn of thanks, collect of thanks, benediction, closing hymn and closing prayer. We, we leave with that prayer and song and thanksgiving. Um, so that's, that's just a brief rundown of what the service is going to look like uh, on, on this Sunday. There, like I said, the sermon itself isn't going to really be in existence. Uh, we're going to be uh, discussing the service itself, the, the structure of the liturgy. And part of that, uh, that acronym is going to be uh, part of it, explaining those, those features. Kids get crabby sitting beside ants, Kyrie, Gloria, Credo, Sanctus, Benedictus, Agnus Dei, um, uh, as, as well as just explanations of, of other parts of the service as well and why they fall, where they do. Uh, but I, I hope it's, it's pretty plain why that works so well for this Sunday. Uh, it you know, makes my job a little bit easier in one sense than now I don't have to pick between transfiguration and, and presentation because, oh man, I would hate to make that choice. Um, but now I can do both and, and show the connection between them as we go through explaining this service. So, uh, again, uh, you can contact this show. Find us on tapestryradio.org slash Lord's House. Uh, you can go to uh, Our Savior's website, OurSavior'sELS.com. You can find me on Twitter at M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L. Uh, and uh, just come at us with, uh, with questions or, or comments or, or, or other um, thoughts that occur to you about these things. If, if you learn something new, let us know about it. Or, or if there are other things that I haven't said, um, that, that, you know, <laughs> you know, about some of these things, you know, if I'm wrong about the idea that, uh, transfiguration would take precedence over the, the presentation, let me know that I, I, I like to know for sure that I'm, that I'm saying what's right, but, uh, until we meet again, peace be within you.
obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From our fancy to yours.